Welcome everybody. This is my book review for the art scroll book Ravnata, the story of Ravnata Greenblatt, champion of Tabor Judaism by Shmuel Botnik. All I could say is that I am blown away by this book. Um, you know, I always say that when I give Jewish reviews, so, you know, there's a problem because you can't say Lashon Hara. I do think that's not really true because there's Litoelis, you could tell, you could talk about criticism, but the truth is that there are some phenomenal books, and if there's a book that I don't like, every once in a while there are some, then then I'll give my criticism or I'll just keep my mouth shut, which is probably a better media to work on. But I just want to say that I was blown away by this book. It could be that some of my bias is because my family is from Memphis, my mother's from Memphis, and Ravnata played a integral role in my family's Yiddish guide in many, many ways. And Ravnata um, really was a very beautiful and amazing inspiration to my Rebbe, who gave me smicha, that's a Ryan Greenblatt, so that's all he's... Um, you know, his brother's son. So, uh, you know, the, the the beautiful and magical relationship between such different personalities, Rav Nutta and, and Rav Ephraim, such different personalities, but yet such love and respect for each other was phenomenal to behold. So there, there are many biases that I have, but at the same time, I was very, very inspired by the Sefer. One thing I'll say as a trigger warning, but also I'll address the trigger itself in, when I go through the, you know, my, my, my thoughts, but there's a lot of talk about one of the big passions of his life was helping, um, you know, get in situations. And so some people might find that triggering, but that is something that is just a fact of his life. Um, so I want to talk about the concepts that I've learned here. And, and, and like I said, this safer has really inspired me to look at what could we do for Claudia Stroll and his phenomenal worldview is, is just amazing, amazing. And Robotnik did a I would, I think I would predict that he did such a phenomenal job. You're going to be seeing a lot more of him uh, in, in, in biographies. There's a, there's a brilliance which took a brilliant mind to understand this brilliant mind of, of Ravnata, this, this brilliant neshama. And, and, and I think that he really, really did a phenomenal job capturing the, the passion and the, and, and the, the depth and, and the brilliance. And, and, I'll, and I'll make a few points about just really how some of the stories and some of the Divrei Torah and tying them together is, was, was brilliant. And, and, and penetrating and, and, and really this book changed my life. So enough of the gushing and, and really let, let, let's, let's focus on it. So um, in the introduction, Robotnik really sets the tone of this book, which is just also brilliant, which is that he couldn't really encapsulate Rav, um, Ravnata, Ravnata Tzvi, until everybody called him Ravnata very warmly. You know, did you ask Ravnata? What did Ravnata say? So, and, and I will say that, that I met him and um, one thing that he said to me that still remains with me. When I was in Palo Alto, I did a get with him, a number of Gittin, and we talked about how to spell different names, Joseph and, and Chitas Ramosha, and, and, and his and his respect for Ramosha, Kavarhar as Zakain, you know, just that's that's what Ramosha said, Azagetas, right? And it's beautiful Yiddish. But um, when I offered to hold I mean this I, I met him in two thousand and twelve and when I offered to hold his bag, uh, so this is you know about 10 years before he passed, so he was, he was in his late 90s. Anyway, so then he was in his late 80s. He said to me, uh, I'm, I'm a young man, I don't need your help. <laughs> you know, and he, he was very sharp, in a good way, in a beautiful way. And when I said to him my, my grandfather's name, you know, Azriel Ike Eskenazi, he said, Avada, of course I remember him. He was, he was a fine mensch. And I think that describes Ravnata. He appreciated people who were a fine mensch. And Ravnata was a fine mensch, a real regal person, a beautiful from a previous generation, they don't have anymore. Anyway, Robotnik did a brilliant job tying in the uh, Mishnah Avos, which says that someone who's makabel who learns Torah Lishma is Zochel Advarim Harbe, and he he went on to describe in a sefer the kaleidoscope of characteristics, as he calls it, of Ravnata. And he really every chapter just goes through that Mishnah in a beautiful, beautiful way. I was moved to tears by many of the stories, but the story about how Ravnata told over that he didn't take a penny from the 
um, yeshiva that he started from the Margulin Hebrew Day School where my mother went and my aunts and uncles went and, and the impact that it made. And my, and my Rebbeim went, <laughs> Rev, uh, Rev Nachum Lansky, Shlita, uh, my, my Rebbe, who Rev Nachum taught in first grade and he taught me in base Medrash, um, a Memphis boy. And, and that's a compliment. It's not an insult. Anyway, we'll, we'll get back to his story. But anyway, so Rav Nata basically said that when he was collecting money to start the yeshiva, he actually showed a Rav in Memphis that he also was giving, and he pulled out his check, uh, checkbook, and he wrote a tremendous, very, very large check of 3000 And he didn't say the number, but he said, I made $3,000 a year. And the Rav said a year, the Rav of Anche Svart at that time, my mother would know who that is, but I don't know who it was, said, like, uh, it's too much. I'll have to give that amount of money, whatever he was offering. So Rav Nata said, I don't get it. He said, if somebody was collecting money right now to build a base of English in Yerushalayim, would you say that the number I wrote was too large? So he said, no, of course not. He said, well, that's what we're doing. We're building the Hebrew Academy is the base of English. And that perspective on Yiddishkeit and, and on Chinuch is, is what carried him. Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. So Rav said, you know what a good Rebbe is? When you look in his eyes, you see the Shechina. That's, that's phenomenal. Rav Lansky uh, was in the first class. His, his family was traditional. And uh, but they were interested in Yiddishkeit, and, and they they were happy to send their son to to a school. And Rebbe made the tuition free for many many parents because and almost all of them because he didn't want any excuses why people wouldn't go there. And it, the phenomenal thing is that he said that he the only reason he became a chazan when he went to Memphis was just so he could have a parnasa on the side. But he came to build to build Torah. It's not in the book, but everybody quoted that Ramosha said about Rebbe that if he had ten ten Rav he would have changed the entire landscape of of America in Yiddishkeit. But even look at look at the amazing thing that Rav Nata did. Anyway, so basically uh, Rav Nachum Lansky is a tremendous Talmud Chacham at Lamdin, Rafarin Greenblatt, his Rebbe, and my Rebbe, if I can even say it in the same sentence, uh, his Rebbe of third grade, I think, said said about Rav Nachum that he's one of the biggest Lamdanim that Baltimore ever ever saw. And I said to him, you know, Baltimore has many Lamdanim currently and had many Lamdanim, uh, the Rashi, you know, Ruderman, etc. And, and, and and, and Rav Nachum was a Talmud of, of Rav Ruderman. And he just said that Rav Nachum is one of the biggest Lamdanim that ever came out of Memphis and, and that, that, that Nair Yisrael ever saw. Um, so anyway, the, Rav Nachum wrote an article in a very, very prestigious journal based on the Vilna Gaon's deeper meaning of the Aleph base. And this very, very impressive essay showed up in front of Rav Nata, who had taught him Aleph base in first grade. And he was very excited. And the next time he saw him, he said, Rav Nachum, I already taught you the Aleph base. Haven't you moved on? He had a phenomenal sense of humor. Phenomenal sense of humor. So there was once a from t- a, um, a, a rav in a small southern city that uh, said to Rav Nata, he said, I never dreamed that anyone from would come from my community. Look what you did for this child. And Rav Nata looked at him and said, that's your problem. You don't dream. That's your problem. Rav Nata was a dreamer. You, you can't do what you did without, without dreaming. Rav was very close to Rav David Leibowitz, who, remember, died on Pearl Harbor Day. That was the day that he died. Kiyadua, Rav Scheinberg used to tell many stories about that. Rav uh, was a good friend of Rav Scheinberg. They, they all learned together. Um, and he was in, his, his, he was in with Rav Nachum during his final illness. And uh, to, to the point, he was so close that there's a, there's a, uh, a telegraph that was sent when, when he passed away in, 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 uh, on Pearl Harbor Day um, that... Um, Rav Hanach Leibowitz, as that's all, Rav David's son, who took over his position, he was a very young man. He he, he sent a, a a telegraph to this nineteen year old little boy who you know was in the yeshiva and was very very close to people. So, 
anyway, Renata told over that the last thing that he told him in Yiddish, beautiful to show us, but if you're going on the right path and you know where you're going and your intentions are pure, you're bound to succeed. That's a tremendous episode of life. Tremendous, tremendous episode. <laughs> so there was a time when he was 92 and he had a headache. So the place he was staying, they said, take some Tylenol. So um, Advil, whatever it is. So Renata said, Advil, in all my life I took six pills. I have a bracha from a cook. This is the famous Rav Rabietza Cook that basically he gave him two brachas, one that he should have a long life and, the, and be healthy, and the other he should become a Talmud Chacham. So Rav Nata would say, unfortunately, um, he would say, at least at least the first half came true, that I lived a long life. Anyway, um, so that was a story where he was sick, and his father took him to, to Rav Cook for a bracha. Um, there's another story in here, which was that he once... It's well known that the Chavetz Chaim's second wife, she escaped the Holocaust. She's actually buried um, in Queens. And at one point in her life, when she passed away, I don't know what it was, in the late 40s, early 50s, so um, Ramosha Feinstein went to go visit her. He wanted to go visit her. And he took his prized Talmud, Rav Nata, with him. And when they got there, um, she, the Chavetz Chaim's second wife, his first wife had also passed away, um, so he remarried. She was crying. And so Ramosha said, what's the matter? So she said 20 years ago, which I think is like, you know, 1930, I was sick. I was very concerned, but my husband, Chavetz Chaim, said, don't worry, you have, at least, you have at least another 20 years, you'll live another 20 years, don't worry. And she says, unfortunately, it's been exactly 20 years, and that bracha has expired, and that's why I'm crying. And she passed away later that year. So you see, you know, Abunis Chacham, the power that's there. There was someone that once watched the Chalitza being done by, by Rav Nata, and he said, Rabbi Greenblatt, the Shulchan Aruch says otherwise, what are you doing? Renata looked at him and says, I was alongside Ramosha for 50 chalitzas after the Holocaust. This is what he did. That's it. Ramosha is a psak. So one time, Rav David, um, one, one of Ravnata's sons um, discovered that his father actually owned property in Herz Israel. So he said, where is it? Where is it located? Which property did you buy? So Ravnata shrugs, I don't know. He said, Daddy, how can you own a piece of property? I don't know where it is. Or not to look at him and he was surprised. He said, what's wrong with you? Well, you'd have to own a piece of Eretz Israel. Who cares where it is? Which is just really, really fascinating. Um, Nata used to quote Rav Chaim Soloveitchik's epitaph, which said, Rabbeinu HaGadol, Rav HaChesed, Sar HaTorah, Hagon HaMiti. Such beautiful words. Rav HaChesed. That's, that's what's most important. Um, the... Many, many people talked about Rav Nata's godless. Um, and when, whenever he would visit his, his Rebbe, he flew back to New York often. The Rebbetson would, would, would call out and uh, they, they, would get, they would get reacquainted. One of the most beautiful stories that I, that I ever wrote, that I ever saw, was in this book that really, really touched me. was that Ramosha used to uh, go for some of the summer in the Catskills to relax. Obviously, he was learning like, the, like all the famous pictures. And Rav Nata came to visit him. And and as they were talking and learning, Rav Moshe noticed that Rav Nata had a cough. So he insisted, stay, you can't travel back to New York, you have to stay here, I'll take care of you. And Rav Nata says, I didn't sleep that night. He says, he, and he was crying when he said over the story. He says, because Rav Moshe didn't sleep. He came into my room every half hour to make sure the blanket was covering me. That's the love of a Rebbe. And that, that makes a Talmud. That makes a Talmud. There's a story in here about um, Mr. Larry Brown, Shevra Fush Lema. He was a wonderful person, very, very close family friend, a good friend of my father, of my grandfather, Mr. Ike Eskenazi, a good friend of the family. So Rav Nata saw him. He was delivering newspapers on Shabbos, 
and he's a little boy. And he told him, how much money do you make every Saturday? So he said, I make $1.50, sir, which I don't know. Back then, maybe that was $10, whatever that was. So Rebunatha said, okay, give up the route. Come to the synagogue on Saturdays, and I'll give you $1.50. Really? You'll give it to me? I don't know if it's work? Yes. And that's what Rebunatha did. And that's how he was Makari of Larry Brown. And how many millions of dollars of tzedakah and millions of dollars of zechuyos and mitzvos was Kali Yisrael repaid with that? person who dedicated his life to being a Baal Chesed and creating a beautiful, beautiful Torahic family. That's that's what I have not to invested in. There's another story that um, they said a very fascinating thing that I did not know. Ramnata never did early Shabbos. Why not? Because Ramnata said, I have to always be ready to answer the phone. Somebody might need me and have a Shiloh. They're going to call me. And I'm sure it happened right before nightfall. So therefore, Yid always has to be prepared to help another Yid out, which is a phenomenal thing. Um, Rav Nata spoke at the Chalukah Tobias for Koltor Berger, his, his Talmud, his prize Talmud in Baltimore. I was there in 2011, and he said a beautiful thing. Why is a shul called the Beis HaKnesses? Sometimes we do find it's called the Beis Tvila, but it's not. It's The Beis HaKnesses is the gathering place. He said, you know why? Because it's a place to gather to do chesed for other people. And a shul is not a shul unless you do chesed for others. And Rav Berger's shul in Baltimore, everybody knows, is a very big chesed. Welcome Torah as well. There was a story where um, after a divorce that was difficult, um, there was a man who had waited a long time to get divorced and there was complications. So he asked the Dayanim and, and Ravnata, who had done the get, he said, let's drink a l'chaim. And it's, there, there, there's a custom that people say a mazel tov after divorce because there's an element of a simcha there. From, unfortunately, it's a, it's, it's a tragedy, but it, it, there's a simcha of, of moving forward and being not shackled. So Ravnata grew very serious and said, no, no champagne, which I want to say privately what someone does is a different story, but no. This, we don't celebrate a divorce. It may be necessary, but it's a re- and, and it may be a relief, but it's not celebrated. And that's a tremendous episode that even though he did thousands of gittin, he did not become impervious to it. And we'll, we'll bring that out in two more ways as well. Um, Rav, Nach- Rav Nachum Lansky told over a story that he visited Memphis once, and he did something that showed that he didn't hold the Erev. And he was walking with his Rebbe, Rav Nata, and he realized that it was an insult because Rav Nata himself had done the Erev. And so he apologized to him. And said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to insult you to show that I wasn't following the Arab. And Ravnata said, what do you mean? You think I carry? I don't follow the Arab. The Arab is for emergencies. It's for women to be able to come outside of their house or to push a stroller or for kids or in case you forget. Of course, he said that you're doing the Ehrlich thing. Uh, yeah, not to posking from this. It's a good disclaimer at the beginning of the book also. Ravnata said a gewaldic vart on, on a hesped for Kalevsky. It's an interesting story because he didn't make it to the first one because he was doing a gap. But anyway, he, he said that in the Arzeel Vonon, uh, there's an emotional keynote on Tishbov, and in this piyut, it depicts the, the moments prior to the death of Rishim Megam Leel and Rishmael Kalengal. The Roman emperor uh, had killed them, and um, and Rishmael Kalengal uh, had a final request: "Let me cry for him." And he begged. So finally, the wish was granted. It says, "Some enav al enav." He put his eyes on on his on his friend's deceased eyes. Upiv al piv, but alva gemura, and his mouth on his mouth. He said, "What's the shot?" He said that the Pshad is like this, or said Ravnata, it's such a Gavaldi Vart. He said the true purpose of a Hespid is to connect to the Nifter. We place our eyes on his eyes to, sh- to show that we want to look at the things that he looked at in life and have that perspective. And our mouth on his mouth to show that we must that, that we have to focus on the things that he talked about that were so important. And that's phenomenal. That's really, really phenomenal. And Ravnata also said that a Jewish history professor came to my house and he told me that it's so strange. Rashi is this central figure, but no one knows where he's even buried. How could you have lost track of his grave? So Ravnata said, what are you talking about? Rashi died? I didn't know that. I, I, you go to the base vendor, you hear Rashi, Rashi's alive and well. We, we learn with him all the time. And that's that's the Vart. The Vart is that all these people are alive. 
all of Rav Natsas Talmidim, Rav Moshe Feinstein, Rav Shabar Salvechik, Rav David Leibowitz, all these great people, Rav Chaykoletsky, all these people were all there. There's a Gavaldic, this is a brilliant, brilliant Ha'ara that, that uh, Rav Botnik tied in, even though it's a story, but he tied it in the theme very bu- brilliantly. Basically, Tucson, Arizona, there's a whole Shiloh about Kvyas Makam for getting what, 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 um, Body, we always mention a body of water because it's a very good locate, locale, and every city has to have a body of water. So therefore, it was that's what Chazal Rekovea, you have to have a body of water there. So there was a whole shaila that in Ingris Moshe, Eben Ezra Chelik Dalid, Sima 101, that Ramosha was asked by Reb when he was trying to be Kovea, that what, what qualifies as a river because there's one problem. There's a dried up river in, right near Tucson. Do you mention that or not? So Ramosha said that there's still an indentation there, as you wrote, and therefore... Even though it's not normal, it's not a natural reservoir, but it could be with intense rain rainfall, then it would be filled again with water. So Ramosha said, but since there's an indentation and the water could technically come back again, therefore that you could use that as Kabias Makam. So Zucked uh, Rebotnik, a Gavaldic Vart. Now what did he learn from his Rebbe Ramosha? He learned that even a yid that seems to be dried out, Afalpikane, there's still a, a pintal yid that's there, and, and the water could be refilled and now it could have more power, which is a phenomenal thing. So also, there's a lot of stories about how Ravnata convinced people to give Gittin. And a lot of times he just said, I don't even remember what I said. Because the shot is that, 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 if he, he had a desire to do the right thing, and that's what he would do. Um, there's another story in there that, um, of how Ravnata was just not afraid of anybody. Um, and he even used his, his father-in-law, Mr. Isaac Kaplan, who was a member of the Shelby County Republican Committee, that threatening someone that, you know, I could, I could talk to the president and get you in trouble. And the guy just relented and immediately gave a get, which is really, really fascinating. Um, so there's another story in there that, um, that I really, really appreciated, which was basically a Rav who used to give out vodka, and he asked the community to support him, and, everybody, and one day he, he put out a bucket, and they could put it, they could put it in you know, vodka, and, and one day he tasted it, and it was water. Why? Because every single person said, oh, everyone else is putting in vodka, a little water will blend in, but really everyone gave water. So so too a rub has to be independent. And Arnalta made it very clear when he moved to Memphis, he had a job as a chazan, which he made money on. He was independently wealthy. He had an investor, but he was Makari, that, that supported him all, and you're allowed to take money for Toro. Or he had his organization. He never took any money for it. He never took much money for it. For the mitzvahs that he did, yes, there was a set fee for a get, but he rare, he he often did not collect it at all, and he he often would go on trips and, and would not get reimbursed. And um, anyway, so where Haber told over that, or not told him to get a parnasa outside of the rabbinate. That's why he opened Mosaic Press, press, and also um, Ernato himself was a uh, a little bit of a landlord. He had investment property, etc. Okay. Um, One time, one of uh, Rav Yol, Greenblatt, or Nata's son, heard Rav Nata on the phone, and he heard him say, how much is the get? And it was a complicated situation, a case. So Rav Nata told him, don't worry about it, it's free. So when he hung up, Rav Yol joked with him and said, Daddy, you're giving away thousands of my inheritance, my Yerusha. Rav Nata gave him a sharp look and said, I'm, not, I'm giving you millions in Zechusim. What are you talking about? That's the greatest thing. There's another story where Rav Nata spent thousands to orchestrate a get, and his son asked him, like, who's paying for this? They're not reimbursing you for it. So he said, let me ask you a question. He said, this year you you bought an esrog? Who paid for that? He said, that's a mitzvah. Such a powerful story. That's a mitzvah. <laughs> you pay for a mitzvah. Such a powerful story. <laughs> there was a, a woman who called her not crying, 
And she said, you're never going to find my husband. He's off the derech. He's not religious anymore, but he's wanted by the FBI, Interpol, and the Israeli Mossad. You're never going to find him. And Renata said, let me try. He got hold of her and got the woman again. So she said, how in the world did you do that? He said, even if he's off the derech, a, a, a yid still connected to his mother. I called the mother. I explained, I'm not out to get your son. I just need to take care of, you know, this get. Please help. And that's exactly what happened. Um, Rav Nata sometimes was angry at people who did inappropriate things in their marriage. And he would say, you're an animal. <laughs> sometimes he would wait till after the get was given so they wouldn't retract. But anyway, phenomenal. He was not afraid to say what it was. Rev. David tells over a story. He was 10 years old. And basically there was a guy in town that was not religious. And his son was trying to marry a guy. And he he called Rav Nata and said, he didn't know him. They had nothing to do with each other. But you have to convert. Rav Nata was involved with Geras. He said, you have to convert my daughter-in-law. She's not Jewish. And my son needs to marry a Jew. So he said, fine, I'll meet with her. So he met with her, and he saw that she had zero interest in Yiddishkeit whatsoever. There's not, she said she was willing to convert to, to get married, but she had no, no interest. So Rav Nata kicked him out and said, I can't help. So this guy used to threaten Rav Nata all the time. So usually Rav Nata would answer the phone. It didn't impact his family. One time, Rav David Greenblatt, David Greenblatt was 10. He answered the phone on Friday afternoon, and the guy's screaming. He says, tell your father to come outside. I have a gun. I'll kill him. So he was very, very alarmed. He ran to his father, and his father said, ah, don't worry, just hang up. This guy calls me every Arab Shabbos to wish me a good Shabbos. Just hang up on him. And obviously, a person should take threats seriously, but you know, in whatever it was, when that happened in the 50s, 60s, or nothing new, but he was safe. Um, yeah, again, the Musser sometimes telling people, um, you know, telling people off in an appropriate way. Um, Berish Kipper, who's a wonderful embodiment of, of so many beautiful qualities, was Rebbe. He tells over a story, which I saw printed in a few different places as well, that one evening he was, uh, Ravnata was giving a shir to his Talmidim, and Ravnata got a couple of phone calls in the middle, and he, you know, he he kept saying, yeah, yeah, and, and hung up, and he finished his shir, and then he burst out crying that his Rebbe, Rav Moshe, had been nifter. I mean, he had been sick for a while, and people knew, but so they said, why don't you interrupt the shir? He said, for Ramosha, Ramosha wouldn't want me to interrupt the shir. The shir has to go on. Uh, when the shear is over, then then now we could deal with Avelis. Um, so there was a, a Rebetzin that told over, uh, Rebetzin Taub, from, uh, she, she was originally a Rebetzin, and I actually visited in Buffalo, her and her husband, very famous couple, very involved in, in uh, Chinuch and Kirov, and getting at the time. She, she, so she said that whenever nothing came, excuse me, there was mixed feelings. There was like, joy that he was coming to the house, but there was also sadness because he was usually writing a get. Anyway, one time she asked him, you know, she said, Ravnata, I never saw a get. I'm just curious. I want to see it. And Ravnata grew very serious and he said, no, chas v'shalom. Never say that word. That's not, there's no room for a get in a, in a, in a Yiddish home. And she realized, like, even though this man was dealing with getting all the time, he, he recognized that, 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 that there was a severity to it. And that's, that's a phenomenal thing. But then he said to her, don't worry, I understand that you're curious. If you step away from the house, 10 feet away, it's not in the house, and then I'll show it to you. I'll explain it to you. Of course, you should understand it, right? It's Torah, and you, you could understand it. So he wanted to respect her will, her wish, but he also wanted to give a very, very strong statement about, um, you know, how how a yid should look. There's another story about Ritzvi Rosen, who's a phenomenal person from the Star K. How Ravnata gave up his kosher's job to give him a job when he was in Birmingham, I think, Alabama, and he basically, even though Ravnata had been traveling in from Memphis and got a higher wage because he was traveling, he convinced them to keep that same exact wage for Ritzvi. And that that is what broke her to me into the um, into the field of kosheres, which is amazing. <laughs> um, there's another thing that Rav Sheftel Neuberger's that's all told over the Manal of Yeshiva Snarry Stroll. He said there was once a complex shiloh. They kept bothering Ramosha about 
And Rav Ruderman wanted to talk it over again, but he knew he couldn't call Rav Moshe. So he said, let's call Rav Nata. Let's see what Rav Nata thinks. So that Rav Ruderman was beholden to, to Rav Nata to explain Rav Moshe. There's a story that they keep quoting. The Rebetzin Zalza, Zal, uh, she should be strong and well. So he always used to say to her, Rebetzin, I give a good to share, but your meals, ah, they're even better. And the Rebetzin was very quick-witted. She was very funny, and she had a great southern drawl. And she was a very sweet person and a mother to all the Talmudim for that year, but there was a yeshiva there. But in that, in that story, she said, oh, Rabbi, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Meaning she appreciated his, his humor. And he always used to say that Hermes Yeris Nefesh really allowed him to do whatever he could do. He always tried his best to be home for Shabbos, and if he couldn't, then he would ask her Roshos first, Ramosha. And a lot of his rabbi had told him to stay, at, make sure you're home for Shabbos. Um, and also, someone tried to ask him permission to leave the yeshiva for a year. There was a yeshiva in Memphis um, to go home for Shabbos, and he said... My issue was like Volusion, the Bakr Margadolim. You could come and leave as you see fit, which is a tremendous thing. And um, also, Rev Nata once said over that when I visited as an altar Bakr, Rechekel uh, Maletsky, my Rebbe in Eretz Yisrael, so he told me over a Givaldic thing that, that Rev Cook, when he heard about the Hebron massacre, he was very, very moved. But when he heard that Tamil Chacham and Yeshiva were murdered, he fainted. Why? Why? Because Torah. Obviously, it was a very overwhelming thing, but but the Torah really impacted him. And um, Rav Nata said over that that's Mamash the Pasuk by Elia Cohen, that he heard his own sons, Rahman al were murdered. Okay, he was very, very sad and tragic, but he heard the Aaron and the Torah was was was, was uh, then that's when he that's when he literally fell off a chair and died. Um, and that's uh, that's that's a very, very big, big thing, that the, the Aaron is a B'nai Yeshiva. So, these are some of the stories that Rav Nata's life inspires us with, and we should be zochet to, to think about what we could do for Klai Yisrael and think about the mitzvahs that we do and the, the impact that we could have. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you'll pick up the Sefer and be as inspired as I am. What a beautiful, beautiful Sefer. What a beautiful, amazing mensch who graced the earth with us and, and was most nefesh for Klai Yisrael. And his family should be menachim for him, and his wife, Zalzun, Zalzayn, Stark, she should be healthy and well and uh, have good Yiddish and ahas.